Hi, I'm Mark Renner. This is Victory Over Sin. Saturday afternoon to you. My name is Mark Rennick. This is Victory Over Sin. Uh, first part of the show, what we attempt to do is to share with you what Victory Over Sin is, who pays for it, and what we're attempting to do. Victory Over Sin is actually a show funded by an advocacy arm of St. Vincent de Paul of Southwest Idaho. And what we attempt to do is to educate you, the Idahoan, about what it's like to be incarcerated and to come out of incarceration and actually live on parole. We would argue that you do not understand that process nor understand uh, what it entails. So we do it in several different ways, but one of them is this radio show. And this radio show actually has been going on for about five years now. If you go back to the archives of KBXL or if you go to the webpage for St. Vincent de Paul of Idaho, you'll find all the different old shows that have been there for a five-year period of time. You'll see state senators. You will see people who have just gotten out of incarceration. You'll see people who are directors of the Department of Corrections, uh, all sorts of people and agencies who support those of us who have come out of incarceration. They've been on the show and they've talked about it. We consider it a good body of work, if you will, to understand the Department of Corrections and what happens. Take a look at that and go back and visit that as you're at your leisure, and hopefully you'll learn something about that. In addition to that, we actually do have a PowerPoint presentation that we're happy to bring out to your business, to your church, to your group, and to share with you about what it's like to be incarcerated. The great thing about this is that it is led by a returning citizen themselves. So they will present the PowerPoint, and then they'll stay around and answer some questions about what's going on in terms of how they've adjusted. So we haven't we don't do that as much, obviously, with COVID right now, but in a post-COVID world, we're looking forward to doing that at some point in time. So those are things that we've uh, been doing in, on an ongoing basis. In addition, if you listen to me over a period of time, you know that we now have two different locations where we meet people as they come out of incarceration on the first day. In Boise, it is at 3217 Overland uh, in uh, what is the old uh, St. Vincent de Paul Administration Building next to the food bank. We're there 9 to 12. In Canyon County in District 3, we are in the actually in the Probation and Parole Office, and that office is staffed from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday. So that's a place to go as you get out of incarceration and need some support with uh, resources and connections. Everybody that works for us has been incarcerated, and so you're going to get a friendly kind of warm handoff back into community. Uh, in addition to that, if you need a ride from incarceration and you're listening to me out in the desert right now, go to your case manager. Case manager will write me an email. We'll be happy to pick you up and take you through those situations. We've got a new program, too, now at our office on Fairview Avenue, which is uh, called uh, Recovery Roundup, and it's every Saturday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2.30. We give away free pizza. 
It's meant to be a forum for people who have just come out and need issues addressed. Uh, it's not staffed by me, but staffed by Heather Harper and Mike Perry, who's a recovery coach in our operation. So they're there to listen, to get you some pizza, because we have pizza, and talk about the things that are important to you. I think also, too, uh, this Saturday, if you're listening to me in eastern Idaho, uh, there's an event coming up on the 25th at 6 p.m. at the Idaho State uh, uh, Campus at Idaho Falls. It's called Recovery Out Loud. This is the fourth year that this has happened. It's sponsored by all sorts of people, including us. Uh, and what that is is a, a support for people who have come out of incarceration, dealing with addiction issues. Uh, that's a place to be in to go hang out on Friday night if you're in the area. So, And I will be there, too. If you're in the area and you want to come by, come by and say hi, that would be great, too. So uh, those are the events that have been happening. Uh, you're going to be impressed, I think, with our guest who um, – I've known from a long time ago, and we got to reconnect a few weeks ago, and we're going to get to talk to him in just a second. Idaho has an incarceration rate of 761 to 100,000 people, including prisons, jails, immigration detention, and juvenile justice facilities, meaning that it locks up a higher percentage of its people than any democracy on earth. Compare that to the United States, 664 people per 100,000, Canada's 104 people per 100,000, and Norway's 54 people per 100,000. What about our parole system? In 2019, Prison Policy Initiative graded each of the 50 states for their parole system. Idaho received a grade of F. How do we change this? We need your involvement, and we need your story. More importantly, you must tell it. Your Christian voice can support the need to change. Reach out to us and get involved. At the end of the show, Mark will share his contact information, or you can call the radio station, KBXL 941 The Voice, and ask for links to Mark Rank. Okay, this afternoon I'm, I'm actually super excited to uh, present to you uh, a friend of mine by the name of Christopher Tapp. I'm going to call him an advocate for those who are falsely incarcerated. Chris, thank you for being on the radio today with me. Thank you for having me. I'm greatly surprised and impressed to be here. Yeah. Chris and I uh, will explain where, how we go back, but give us a little bit of background on you, sir, where you're from, and uh, all that kind of stuff. I'm a true Idahoan. I was born and raised here in Idaho Falls. Uh, I was born in 76, and this is where I grew up. I mean, this has been my home for from the time I was born until the time of my incarceration, and then as soon as my incarceration was over, I came back here to Idaho Falls, and it, and the community, you know, was completely changed in the 20, 20 years I was gone, and in the five years that I've been home, the community has truly been supportive and, and, and stood behind me. I'm truly happy. Yeah, and I think the great thing about Chris and I is Chris and I, unfortunately, we met at uh, Idaho Maximum Security Institution back in uh, 2008 uh, or nine or something like that. That's where we crossed paths for a period of time. Um, tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit about your story because you were one who um, was convicted of a crime uh, and placed incarceration. You did 20 years and were found that you were not uh, guilty of that crime. Tell us a little bit about that, as as you'd like to. Uh, in 1996, uh, a woman here in Idaho Falls was brutally raped and murdered in her uh, apartment. Her name was Angie Dodge. So six months after the crime, the police department had no leads. They had nothing. But 
a friend of mine, uh, his name was Ben Hobbs, he committed a crime similar to what the Idaho Falls Police Department said that happened here in Idaho Falls in Nevada. So they brought, you know, started to bring all of Ben Hobbs' friends in. Uh, they brought me into the Idaho Falls Police Department, you know, in, for interrogations. Uh, during, you know, 60s hours of interrogations, uh, sham polygraphs, and everything else, I falsely confessed to a crime that I never committed. So, I mean, I wish I could say that, you know, it, it doesn't happen that, you know, the police can interrogate somebody and make them falsely and force them to confess to something, but they did, so... Um, during that time, you know, I continued to say I was innocent, but no one really believed me. Uh, we went to trial. Uh, a jury found me guilty. Uh, six months later, a judge convicted me to uh, 30 to life plus 15 years for the murder, uh, 10 to 20 uh, on the rape plus 15 years for the weapon. And then I was sent to uh, Department of Corrections here in Idaho and... Uh, I spent 20 years, 53 days in the Department of Corrections. Uh, I spent probably half that time in uh, maximum security because when I first got there, that was when uh, it all worked out was, you know, they did crime points, time points, you know, for some of your listeners that are probably listening to the, in, into the Department of Corrections, you know, this was before they, you know, changed the classifications of when you got into the system. So I walked in there with, I think, 32 points. Yeah, so those I are the old days. Went to yeah. the maximum security and uh, spent a lot of time there learning how to survive at prison and as an innocent man. As you know, some of the individuals that may be listening that knew me back then was you know I told them I was innocent. I never committed this crime, and and you know. Well, I think too. It's like you, people, you, uh, you yeah. and I, you and I, as we ran across people. Um, it's not unusual, let's say, for all of us to say we were innocent of what we were charged with. So you were just, nobody in there was guilty of, of what they did, certainly. So it's not something that we all, um, I mean, everybody had that same sort of story. So it wasn't unusual for people to say they were innocent of their crimes. Correct? Oh, exactly. Oh, exactly. You know, I like I always told people, it was like the Sawshank Redemption, you know, in that famous line in that movie that says, hey, we're all innocent in here. That's what that's, everybody That's says, what everybody but, said. And I think yeah, every, but, everybody also said that they had uh, money buried in the backyard and they all drove Cadillacs <laughs> and uh, all kinds of stuff, too. So it's like oh, you just, yeah. just kind of didn't listen to any of that stuff after a period of time. Uh, and I know that when you the people that came to your support was let's talk a little bit about it's the sentencing project right who can who rallied to you eventually got the ball going in the direction correct uh who originally started you know being on my side as one of my advocates was the Idaho innocence project, Idaho innocence project they yeah. picked me up in 2007 as a client and they stayed with me you know until I shouldn't even say my release. Still to this day, the Idaho Innocence Project, Still, I still, you know, do stuff with them. I'm still in contact with the director. I still, you know, try to do things with them as much as I can. And then uh, we fast forward, you know, three years. Uh, and then the uh, victim's mother, uh, Carol Dodge, started to become a humongous advocate for my release because she was able to sit down and watch all the interrogation tapes and the polygraph tapes. And then she saw you know, the six different stories I, I the police fed to me and I fed right back to the police. And she started to see how bad this conviction truly was. So 
she became a huge advocate for me because she was trying to find the truth and find, you know, her daughter's killer. And she believed that I wasn't any of that. As you know, time went on, other uh, advocacy groups from Judges to Justice to the actual Innocence Project, you know, um, and then the community started to rally and support me and, and it was truly amazing to have all that. One of the things that uh, one of the things in the article I read said you were talking about the time that you needed to spend incarcerated and you said you were allowed to grow up in those twenty years of prison. Uh, can can you comment on that comment, please? Oh, yeah. I mean, exactly how I meant it was I had to grow up in prison. When I went into prison, I was a 20-year-old. You know, when I first got arrested, I was 20 years old. So I was still young, still didn't have immature, still didn't have an idea of what life was to bring. And then all of a sudden, you, you're charged with a first-degree murder, and and then you're, you know, put in the limelight, and then you're sent to prison. And then you realize that you have to grow up in this kind of environment because you have to start realizing that you're going to lose family members, that people are going to turn their back on you, and you have to understand that you can't continually to rely on your family or friends for support and financial means, and you have to get a job, and you have to be able to learn a trade, and you have to start being able to take care of yourself and then understand that you have to grow up. And and it's the sad state of affairs that I had to learn all this while I was, you know, falsely incarcerated in prison. Well, and it also, I think you, you hit on something, too, that I don't, I'm not sure everybody quite understands, but the people, no matter how good of friends you associate or friends or family or whatever, those tend to fall away over a period of time. As the years go by, those people aren't there as much as you had anticipated, and it becomes a very lonely sort of situation that you really do get to know yourself incarcerated. Uh, you're kind of forced to have that time where you face who you are and what you are and what you intend to be. Would you agree with that? Oh, truly, truly do I agree with that. Because, you know, you, you make friends while you're inside, so please don't think that, you know, some of the friendships that you, you make inside don't come to the outside with you. But for most of, the, most of it is that all the friends that you had, unless they come to prison, they all forget about writing you. You, you don't get the Christmas cards. You don't get the birthday cards. You don't get all the things that, you know, that happened while you were, you know, out on the outside. And slowly but surely they all fade away. I mean, the only person that took that was by my side for all this time was my mother, and my father passed away. You know, three years into into all this. Yeah. So, but my mother stood behind me and beside me for twenty, you know, twenty years. I know. You know, and, and that's truly amazing that I was lucky enough to have a mother that was, you know, put up with me and and be with me for those twenty years. So let's fast forward then. So we're you've been exonerated and you're released. Uh, that had tell first of all describe how that process happened. Uh, how did you get that notice, and how quickly after the notice were you released? Uh, so, I was uh, in March of 2017. The Bonneville County Sheriff's Department. I was on a special transport. Uh, they brought me back to uh, Bonneville County. I had a meeting. My attorneys had a meeting. We all had a meeting with the prosecuting attorney. My attorneys. We we worked out a a, a deal. Or, or an agreement that restructured my sentence. So they gave me time served, uh, dismissed a rape charge, and I was released that day. As soon as the judge granted that, you know, he, he granted that deal, the handcuffs were taken off me right inside the courtroom, and I was released from prison because they already had something worked out with uh, IDOC, and I was released back out to society right then and there. 
And that was just a shell shock. Because again, you spent, I spent, you know, half my life in prison. So the world has changed. All my friends that, you know, were there to greet me, they were all older. You know, I was older. And the world changed so much in that 20 years. So trying to re, re, integrate yourself back to the system was truly overwhelming for, you know, for months upon months, it was just truly overwhelming. And in addition to now, you also still have the, 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 um, hanging of a felony still is, or they, the felony's gone, but everybody thinks you're a felon. So you're almost in the same situation, correct? Oh yeah. No, I was a convicted felon. I was a convicted of first degree murder. So uh, for the next two years, you know, I was a felon. So, you know, you you don't have, you know, some of the rights of other citizens that, you know, you should have. And, you know, and you're treated different because, again, you know, employment and stuff like that is, is, is different for a felon than it would be for me today because I've been exonerated. I have, you know, certificate of innocence and all that. So the first couple years... Of, of my release, I was a convicted felon, so I could only get, you know, felon-friendly jobs. Walmart wouldn't hire me because, again, I was convicted of one of the worst crimes of the world is, is first-degree murder. So Walmart wouldn't hire me. Uh, there was companies around here in Idaho Falls that wanted to hire me just because they believed in me. But I couldn't get it bonded through insurance companies to go, like, do, uh, um, like, cleaning of homes and stuff like that. I, it was just a really hard time for me at that time, but lucky enough for me that uh, a friend of mine, he worked for a construction company here in Idaho Falls that they hired me on. I worked there for about six months and, you know, it's a seasonal job. And when that shut down, there was another company here that uh, it's a bag making company. So it was truly amazing. Um, so the next becomes the um, next comes the fight for uh, overturning the conviction and the po- the political things. Tell me just a briefly how we got involved with uh, the legislature and those uh, those aspects. I got involved with the legislature right after my exoneration because Idaho was one of the you know there was at the time there was sixteen states and. No. Yeah, there were 16 states in the country that didn't have compensation for the wrongly convicted. Right. And uh, so one of the senators, at the time he was representative out of Rexburg, uh, Doug Ricks, he, he, you know, again, was, he watched the case on TV, you know, he saw everything that was transforming, and he he saw that there had to be something done for the wrongly convicted. And, And again, you know, I got involved with it, not with... You know, it wasn't more for me because, again, there's another exoneree here in the state of Idaho. His name is Charles Fain. He spent 18 18 years on death row, and he's been released for 17 years, and he has not received a dime for any compensation. He's a 73-year-old man. And I felt truly inspired by him to help him with what anything that we could do to make his life better and, and, and make his life the best life the last few years or how many years he has left of his life to truly enjoy. Well, I think also, so too, it, it also leads to mm-hmm. the people who do follow you out as something com- something happens to them and as this potentially happens again, then there is some uh, compensation, if you will, for when, we, when Idaho makes a mistake like this, correct? Oh, yeah, correct. But the problem is with with uh, everybody that exonerated, they have to, you know, in the bill, there's certain requirements that you have to meet. And if you don't meet these requirements that, you know, you're not able to get, enjoy this compensation. 
which I, I understand and get, you know, there's weights, weights and measures, you know, counts and balances that, you know, they have to follow up a certain procedure to get these, you know, for people to get their money. But you're completely, totally correct. At least there's something now for the next exoneree here in the state of Idaho that they might have a chance to get this compensation to be able to start their life with some money. Because at the end of the day, when you're released from prison, you know, if you're if you're exonerated or or, or when you're released, you know, like I was, there was nothing in place for it. Right. I was let back out in society with not a, uh, there was $3,000 in a GoFundMe account that people started for me. And that's all I was released was with 3000 bucks and, yeah. and sent out to society and said, Hey, good luck because I wasn't on parole and I wasn't on probation. I was, you know, for, you know, completely released. Yeah. And also so I had, you've, you've transitioned too into more of a national spokesman for this uh, cause across the country too. So you're doing this for other states as well as for Idaho, correct? Oh, correct. I've worked in Oregon for the compensation. I've worked a little bit in Pennsylvania for their, you know, compensation. So that is, you know, and I've worked on other things throughout other states trying to help wrongly convicted individuals, you know, have a better life for themselves. Because that's truly what is needed, you know, is is to have a better life. Yeah, I think... You know, it doesn't matter... Sorry. No, no, that's, I think what, that's the thing that when I, when we met a few weeks ago or a month ago or so when we did, that's the thing I was impressed with is that you've gone out of your way still to take this, overcome it, number one, and then to be an advocate to lay yourself open to who you are and what you've been, yet to go forward and, because you could just go away and hibernate, not talk to anybody, but you're going out of your way to be that advocate and to be the inspiration, because there there'll be list, people listening to us now who are still out in the desert, who are saying, "Boy, this is difficult. I'm having this kind of trouble," and they can say, "Hey, look, look what Chris did. He's doing this. He's making a difference." And I think that's what I commend you for. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, and I want other people to be, you know, that success story. I don't want to be the only, you know, success story. I want other individuals to hopefully follow in my footsteps, you know, or or at least. Get out, you know, if you're convicted and still be that success story and become that, you know, everyday Joe citizen and, and enjoy, you know, the life that is out here to enjoy. I used to tell people when I was inside that, you know, my best day in there will never be as good as my worst day out here. And I'm truly thankful I said those things all those years. And I truly believe that. And I truly stand behind that that my worst day out here is it will always be better than my best day in prison that's and I, because and I think, at the end of the day, yeah you have to we have to keep saying that things to the people who are there to give them some sort of hope that this is something that you can turn around and again part of one of the things we're trying to do with the show is to let people know that those people out there who are feeling broken or feeling lost can pull themselves up and come out and blend back into community but you us idahoans need to recognize the fact that 97% of the people who are incarcerated out here south of the of Boise in the desert are going to get out and they're going to come out and they're going to walk amongst us and let's welcome them back in a way that is beneficial for them and for us in the same way and so I think we need those examples Chris is what I'm saying Oh no and, I, and, and I'm glad I could be one of those I, I'm thankful that I can try to be an inspiration to, to other individuals in the state of Idaho and hopefully other individuals across the you know across the country that that have been wrongly convicted to show that you know don't let one incident in your life define who you are. Yep. Change change that narrative. Yep. Don't don't let that one narrative 
define you. And I think one of the things, again, we said this before we started taping, uh, but I'm impressed that you stayed in Idaho Falls. And so um, you didn't have to stay in Idaho Falls. You could have gone and done almost anything. So it's impressive that you took what happened to you and you decided to stay here and you decided to blend back into a relatively small community and show that community that, hey, Chris Tapp is this guy now. You know, you were wrong. I forgive you for that, but we're going to go forward and and be the best Chris Tapp you can be. Does that make sense? Oh, no, it makes complete total sense, and you're almost completely totally right. The community support here was truly amazing when I was released in 17, you know, and, and people believed in my innocence, and, and, you know, a lot of people, there was open houses that one of the projects did to show how the wrongful conviction happened and stuff like that before I was released, and a lot of people from the community showed up. I mean, so it was truly heartwarming to have the support and openness of the community, and also, you know, I met my wife. You know, I, 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 I met an amazing woman, we, we got married, and we've made a home and, and made a life for ourselves here. And, and I'm truly happy that we've been able to do that. And I've been able to have, you know, that happy ending at the end of the day that, you know, all of us in prison that are trying, that we want. What gave you that strength to do all that and to stay through that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be defeated. You know, that was probably the best thing I could ever say was I wouldn't ever be defeated again or I wouldn't show that th- this is my home. I wasn't being run out of my home. You know, I've had the support of the community. I had the support of my family, my wife, and I just didn't want to be defeated anymore. Okay. Hey, listen, buddy, I, uh, like I said, I, um, I was impressed when we got together uh, a few weeks ago. I'm um, coming back over there next week. Maybe we can connect again and say hi. But uh, thank you so much for doing this. Anything that we can do or I can do for you to help you support that uh, the efforts that you're doing, not only over there but across the nation, please feel free to call me, okay? And I appreciate that. I truly do. And I'm thankful that you know I was able to meet you when I met you. And, and we've been able to still, you know, me today and, and see that our lives have changed from where we met Max and, and look how far we've become. That's and right. We've come a long place I from G Block, G, G Block and uh, Max. We've come a long way, haven't we? <laughs> oh, man. We've come a long, long way. <laughs> thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark, for having me. And I, and again, thank you. And I hope I'm able to at least give somebody a little hope and inspiration that everything is going to work out. I'm sure you did. Jesus, there's victory. All the chains that were holding me kept me locked in captivity. Have been broken by grace so free. When He poured out His cleansing blood, motivated by His great love, give me faith I need to rise above and sing a song of how I've overcome. I've got victory over sin Bringing peace to the fight within Give me strength, I need to start again I've got victory over sin Okay, that's, as you can tell, Chris is a good guy and um, good inspiration for you. You're listening out in the desert. Listen, uh, you can overcome this stuff no matter how the cards are stacked against you. Uh, of course, you're, call, we're, you're listening to us on a Christian radio station. I'd like to think that uh, something to do with God would help you do that too. So reach out and let's you know, say a prayer to that 
say a prayer there, and maybe that can turn around for you. If you need to get in touch with me, I'm pretty easy to do. www.systemicchangeofid.com. You can send me an email at Systemic Change of Idaho. It's all spelled out there at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Systemic Change of ID. We're on Instagram, Systemic Change of ID. Heck, you can even call me on the phone if you want to at area code 208-477-1006. I look forward to talking to you next Saturday afternoon on Victory Over Sin.